Hello and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. This is Jim, and I'll be your host this week, or for today's segment anyway. Um, lots of news to get into this week, so much going on. Uh, 2020 has turned out to be a crazy, crazy year. Uh, one for the history books for sure. I mean, we started this year with a presidential impeachment, which happens so rarely in our history. And then went right into a global pandemic. And now we have 40 million unemployed people, the worst since the Great Depression. And now we have cities burning and rioting and things. I mean, I, I don't even know what's going to be next. I mean, it could be the zombie apocalypse or uh, another version of the Hunger Games. I mean, I'm not sure which one we're living in this like dystopian uh, film. Uh, and, um, so yeah, leave your, leave your comments as to what you think is going to happen next in this country. It could be a hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, volcanic eruptions. Who knows what's going to happen next, but this is going to be one that we're going to be talking about for a long, long time. Paul Egan, uh, he's a reporter for the uh, Detroit Free Press. I really like him a lot. He's, got, he's pretty um, fair and unbiased, and I enjoy reading his um, takes. He's talking here about the Michigan stay-at-home order, which has been lifted. Uh, and he gives a list of some of the things that we can and cannot do. It's just, just saying that in itself uh, makes me want to vomit. I don't like any time I have to hear what the government allows us, what we can and cannot do. It just seems to be totally opposed to everything we stand for, but... Uh, here are, he says here, keeping track of the frequently changing rules along with their associated expiration dates and whether they apply regionally or statewide can be very confusing. And they're going to help here a little bit. And it's so true. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep track. I mean, you know, of all the different changes and what's, what's allowed in what parts of the state. And it's, it's just ridiculous. But here's a pretty good summary of what is prohibited still. Gathering indoors of groups of more than 10. Gathering outdoors in groups of more than 100. Going to the office if your job can be done remotely. Going to work in certain other jobs that have not been given the green light since the stay-at-home order was first imposed, including barbershops, hair salons, tattoo shops, nail salons, gyms, theaters, casinos, and bowling alleys. Even for the indoor and outdoor gatherings that are permitted, social distancing of at least six feet is still required. Technically, it is still a violation for a grandparent to hug a grandchild, for example, if the two do not live in the same household. Uh, it's, it's just it's making me disheartened just reading this. The latest order, there again is that word, order. Uh, the latest order from the governor says everyone should stay at least six feet from people from outside the individual's household to the extent feasible under the circumstances. Also schools remain closed except for remote learning. Now they do say casinos are closed, but there are some that are open. And that contradiction is because Whitmer's order only applies to casinos under state jurisdiction, which are the three casinos in Detroit. 
this was something that I didn't realize about casinos uh, until you know just a few years ago, and that is that most casinos in Michigan, with the exception of those in Detroit, are tribal casinos. They're on tribal lands, and uh, they're not they don't have to follow the same guidelines as the state. And that's why, um, except for the ones in Detroit, which I don't understand how that works, uh, you're not really allowed to open casinos in the state. It's illegal. So I'm not sure if they got a waiver in Detroit. But that's how come we can have some casinos in Michigan, even though it's illegal. And that is because they are not bound by the same uh, rules, or the same laws, I should say, that affect the rest of the state. Um, it goes on here about what else can I do in some parts of the states, but not in others. So the governor has divided the state into eight geographic regions as part of her economic restart plan. But so far, only two parts of the state have different rules. In the upper peninsula and northern lower peninsula, bars and restaurants were able to reopen on May 22nd with 50% occupancy. In the rest of Michigan, bars and restaurants will be able to open on Monday with the same restrictions. Retailers in the Upper Peninsula are already able to open without appointments. For the rest of the state, that will happen on Thursday. Um, so, and then it asks, will the entire state be on equal footing on Monday? No. Whitmer said it is likely she will this week advance northern Michigan from phase four of her reopening to phase five. This is in the north, meaning barbers and hair salons and other personal services could open up, but they would be prohibited still in the south where most of our listeners are located. We will still have a prohibition on these things. And uh, then it goes into exactly what counties make up the upper uh, northern Michigan, and we don't need to get into that. I mean, you can look it up for yourself on the Detroit Free Press if, um, if you are curious. And it says, am I required, or the question is, am I required to wear a mask? He answers, masks are required in enclosed public spaces. A store owner can refuse someone entry for not wearing one. Business owners can also require customers to temporarily remove a mask for identification purposes, and customers are allowed to remove their mask so they can eat and drink. Oh, well, that's, that's helpful. Uh, it's kind of hard to eat and drink with your mask on. Um, Masks can be homemade, such as a bandana, a scarf, or a handkerchief, and they should not be N95 masks, I guess, which are the medical masks, uh, which are continue to be in short supply and should be reserved for medical and emergency workers. Um, the other things are going to be opening soon. Dog grooming businesses can reopen Thursday with certain restrictions, according to the information posted Tuesday on the governor's website. So check that out if you have any more questions. Office work that can't be done remotely can resume. Generally, office work that can be done remotely is still supposed to be done at home, so that's a confusing one. Um, drive-in movie theaters can open, which there's not a lot of, it's not like there's a high demand for drive-in movie theaters right now, but I guess there are a few still in existence. And day camps for children and outdoor public swimming pools with reduced capacity, can open June 8th. And regulations for day camps are pending, and indoor pools must remain closed. Regulation for day camps are pending. Well, they need to figure that out pretty soon because kids need to sign up for these day camps if they're... Uh, so they need to hurry up. Oh, libraries and museums can open June 8th, subject to capacity rules. 
which I'm such a nerd. I'm really looking forward to libraries being reopened because <laughs> there's, there's a number of books that I want to check out and I have not been able to. Um, and then they talk about landlords and, uh, you know, and real estate agents being able to show homes. Uh, bottle returns are going to be able to begin June 15th uh, if they have store, if they have self-serve machines. So June 15th, if I got in line on that day, I'll probably be able to get my returns done by August because the lines are going to be huge. I'm not even going to bother for at least three months. Um, and how are these decisions being made? The governor says that reopening decisions are based on science and, and data, but she never set firm benchmarks for when one region of the state would be ready to move on from the next. It's pretty much just whatever she feels any given day. There's no science or data that is, that is conclusive that tells you when you can open up. Um, a land, can a landlord evict me now? Evictions for non-payment of rent are currently banned through June 11th. Oh, if I had known that, we could have just moved in somewhere and not paid my rent until... Um, and it is not known whether the eviction ban will be extended. Uh, there is still technically a state of emergency which gives the governor the power to enforce the emergency orders and associated restrictions uh, through at least June 19th if she doesn't extend it. And then they have a little thing here about how are these orders enforced. I haven't heard of any of these being enforced, but technically violating the order can bring a civil fine of up to $1,000 and it can also be treated as a criminal misdemeanor. And if you're a company that violates these orders, you can lose your business license. Um, authorities, it says, are mostly hoping for voluntary compliance and much of the enforcement appears to be based on uh, oh, much of the enforcement appears to be based on complaints. So I guess they're basing on snitching. If you, if you see something, you're supposed to call and then they'll enforce it. Um, so anyway, yeah, additional information can be found at the governor's coronavirus website. And of course, on the Detroit Free Press also has information too. Um, also this week, actually it's from the same uh, journalist and the same um, newspaper, the Detroit Free Press, uh, the GOP lawmakers grill Whitmer on Michigan nursing home deaths at a U.S. House hearing. And I hadn't heard about this, but I guess that they asked her, I mean, with politicians and big shots, they do not subpoena you. They ask for, your, for you to come in. I guess it's voluntary compliance. So they asked Whitmer to come in and answer questions uh, to the U.S. House of Representatives. And she did, in fact, go. Uh, so they challenged Whitmer about her own response to COVID-19 in Michigan nursing homes, um, where federal data released Monday shows that as of May 24th, Michigan had 1,654 nursing home deaths, the fifth, fifth highest percent, uh, the fifth highest per capita in the nation, and more than 200 higher than the number reported by state officials. Mm, I did not know that. Whitmer testified remotely. Oh, she, she didn't go to Lansing. Or she didn't go to Washington. I'm sorry, I thought, I thought she actually went there. Whitmer testified remotely from Lansing to a U.S. House Committee on Energy and Commerce Oversight and Investigation. The hearing, which also featured testimony from Colorado Governor Jared Paulus and Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, lasted three hours. Republican questions to Whitmer, which were, which were, 
were much more pointed than the ones they directed at Paulus. Um, Whitmer, of course, is a national co-chair of Vice President, former Vice President Biden's campaign. And it, um, so they're, I don't know if they're implying that maybe they were tougher on her because of this, but um, Whitmer repeated earlier criticisms about the lack of federal coordination and direction in securing personal protective equipment, ventilators, testing equipment, and other supplies. Early on, as the state pursued PPE on the national and international markets, the lack of centralized coordination at the federal level created a counterproductive competition between states and the federal government to secure limited supplies, driving up prices, and exasperating existing shortages, Whitmer said in her prepared testimony. And today, a lack of federal coordination related to testing equipment means Michigan has been unable to meet its full testing capacity, recently reaching about 15,000 tests per day. Um, Swabs remain in short supply, she said. But U.S. Representative David McKinley, a Republican from West Virginia, pushed back on Whitmer's criticism, noting that while criticizing the Trump administration for a lack of support, Whitmer did not ask the Federal Emergency Management Agency for a federal disaster declaration until March 26th, after the omission had been reported by the Detroit Free Press. Do you not regret acting sooner? asked McKinley, noting that several states had supplied and been approved for declaration-triggering federal assistance before Michigan even made an application. Whitmer did not respond to that in answering McKinley's question, which also dealt with other topics, saying, I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with you on every allegation. Previously, she has said Michigan wanted to learn from applications filed by other states and was more focused on taking steps in Michigan to prevent the spread of the virus. Uh, A little commentary here, but even though she wanted to wait, she didn't hold off on her mouth complaining about the administration not doing anything during that time. So, you know, she's kind of playing both sides here, claiming that she wanted to wait and see and be cautious before she did anything, but complaining that uh, the Trump administration wasn't providing them with anything. So that is kind of a ridiculous answer. Actually, it's not kind of, it's a very ridiculous answer. And I would have questioned her more about that if I had been a member of the House on this committee. On May 20th, this is going back to the article, on May 20th, Whitmer issued an executive order mandating that nursing homes make all reasonable efforts to create units dedicated to residents with the coronavirus, provide appropriate personal protective equipment to staff, and not accept COVID-19 patients unless they have dedicated isolation units for such patients. Why did it take you so long to change the policy of putting COVID patients back in nursing homes? Asked U.S. Representative Tim Wahlberg. He's actually a Michigan Republican from Tipton. Whitmer said that in retrospect, there are probably a number of decisions we would have made some adjustment on, but we were working with the best counsel of our public health officials. Also, Michigan's experience with the coronavirus has been different from other states because of the exponential exponential growth in cases experienced in Metro Detroit. Um, so anyway, that's, that's about it. There's a couple more paragraphs, but um, again, she didn't really give anything of substance as far as answers. Um, and like I said, if you want more information, um, you can look at this article on the Detroit Free Press. It's by Paul Egan. I assume I'm pronouncing his right name right. It doesn't look that complicated, but you know, sometimes names can be more difficult um, to pronounce than you think. Uh, let's see. We have the other thing from MLive 
when it comes to local is that um, Whitmer hopes to reopen gyms, salons, and more by the 4th of July weekend. So we'll see. I mean, again, she's hoping to reopen them, which means that she's not basing it on science and data. She's just kind of winging it. Um, it's unfortunate that she waited so long to do this because now we have so many canceled things, you know, the, the uh, Coast Guard Festival and the, fun, the uh, fireworks and camps have already closed down for the summer and, and then she lifts the order. So we probably could by the 4th of July have fireworks and the Coast Guard Festival. But um, the other thing that kind of goes along with the coronavirus, it's kind of related, but it has to do with auto insurance. The state orders partial auto insurance refunds for Michigan drivers over the coronavirus pandemic. So this, I won't read the whole article, but just um, because people have been driving less and they haven't been using their vehicles because they've been staying home is uh, the governor. And this is actually something that I think is a good thing. Um, she said that, that they, that the auto insurance companies have to uh, repay partial premium refunds since they aren't being used them. Now, many auto insurance companies have already been offering these. So, um, so it's, not, it's not as if the auto insurance companies have just been evil and taking people's money when not providing any service. So they, they, many of them have already done that, but she went ahead and said the rest of them need to do this. Um, there was no information at the time of this article uh, about the size of the required refunds. We don't know what she's demanding. She said a partial. We don't know what that means. It does say here, under the order issued by the Department of Insurance and Financial Services, auto insurance companies have until June 10th to submit filings that include the proposed refund or premium waiver amount, information on how that amount was determined and how consumers will receive payments. The order also requires communication plans to inform customers about the refund and the options available to those with long-term changes in driving habits, such as those who have been laid off or been switched to working from home. You know, and then, of course, she gives a speech, which covers a couple of paragraphs, which I'm not really interested in reading. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. You, they have until June 10th, um, I guess, to give that to the government, but then they have to also um, alert the customers about what they're going to do. So... If you have not gotten a, a rebate or a, or received money back or whatever, um, you should be receiving something here in the next month or so, telling them telling you what they're going to do as far as your auto insurance. And um, so those are the stories that I see here um, that about the local, uh, or about Michigan politics. Um, and then of course the other big stuff, as I mentioned earlier was, uh, the riots and the protests. I mean, it, it's only been a week since our last show or since I was last with you, but man, it feels like months. I mean, a lot has happened in this past week. You had, um, a situation with George Floyd and the, and the police officer. And then, uh, that happened at some point since we last spoke. And then after that, we had the protests and then that turned into the riots and it turned into 
uh, looting and, and arson and things like this. So, I mean, a lot has happened. Um, there's not, I don't know, there's, there's so much to talk about, and yet it seems like a lot of stuff has already been said. And there's just, I, you know, uh, one, there's a couple of things that I like um, about Ben Shapiro. You know, he's uh, uh, another uh, conservative podcaster that um, I enjoy re- listening to, and I also enjoy his books. He wrote a book several years ago about, I can't remember what the name of it was, but about bullying. And he talked about how, uh, you know, liberals have pushed forth this anti-bullying movement, and yet they're some of the biggest bullies out there, you know, in Hollywood and, and in Washington, you know, they, they force their agenda on people and, you know, call you racist and sexist or homophobic if you don't align with their agenda and the cancel culture and all this. So it was a really interesting book and it changed my view on that. I had never thought about it that way that, um, about the bullying that goes on and how they, they, they attempt to humiliate and, and, force into submission people who don't agree with them. Um, which is, when I think about it, probably one of the reasons why they hate Donald Trump so much. Uh, I mean, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is because he actually bullies them back and they don't know how to handle that. They're used to being the big bully on the block and Republicans typically just give in and, you know, and apologize and, and move on, but he actually fights them. So I'm sure that's one reason why they can't stand him. Uh, you know, when, when you use the same tax, tactics to them that they've used on others, it's, it's never fun when you're treated the way you treat other people, when, it's, when you treat other people poorly. But um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Ben Shapiro. That's what it was. Uh, <laughs> I get off on these tangents. Um, but uh, aside from his famous quote that facts don't care about your feelings, another thing that I always like and I steal from him is this phrase he uses that two things can be true at once. And, uh, and then he'll list these things. And I, I use that all the time, and I totally stole it from Ben Shapiro. And I'm going to use it again, and he may have even said this too. Um, but, you know, two things can be true at once. You can be opposed to brutality in any form, whether it's from the police or a citizen or the government, um, especially when someone dies. You can be opposed to that and be opposed to the rioting and looting and arson. It isn't an either-or proposition like just because you oppose brutality, whether it's police brutality or whatever, doesn't mean that you should support rioting and looting and vice versa. If you hate the rioting and looting, doesn't mean that you automatically support the killing of a black man. I mean, it, it, the two don't have to go hand in hand. I mean, you can, you can believe both are wrong. Um, and we've kind of forgotten that. It seems like everyone, at least in the media... And in politics, are taking sides. You know, it's either I stand with uh, the cops or I stand with the rioters. And you know, you can you you can be opposed. Uh, well, I start to say you can be opposed to both. I'm not talking about being opposed to the police. I mean, being opposed to brutality um, and and want some accountability. Uh, you can do both. Uh, I don't I, I don't think you have to be one or the other here. And unfortunately, we're kind of dividing into two camps. You know, and it's just it's just horrible. It's really unfortunate that it's gotten to this point. We've, we've been so divided for a long time as a nation. In fact, the divisions is, is one of the main reasons it might, it's one of the main reasons 
why Trump got elected. Uh, the other main reason was that the Democrats nominated Hillary Clinton, which um, was a disaster, and you pretty much could have run anybody against Hillary Clinton and won. And of course, the Democrats would probably agree that, you know, you, you know, Donald Trump won in their mind. So obviously, you could have run anybody against uh, Hillary Clinton and won. But it's one of the major reasons why he got elected and why he was so, uh, uh, so I don't, I don't want to say popular, but he got so much attention during the primaries, because we were so divided. And and even though I don't think he set out to say, let me let me take advantage of these divisions, and you know I don't think it was any big plot on his part, looking at the country and saying, I think I can win if I if I fan the flames of of anger here. Um, I think it just happened that way that he was a non-politician, and and we're just so tired of politics, and we're so tired of. I hate to use the word politically correct because. I don't necessarily mean like using phrases like African-American or Native American. I mean, those things are politically correct, but I don't think it's necessarily that. I just mean politically correct by, you know, politicians, poll testing, everything that they say uh, to make it sound appeasing to everybody um, and not really saying anything. Uh, I saw Matt Taibbi. He is a uh, reporter for the Rolling Stone Rolling Stone actually still has reporters, which surprised me. And they're not just a music magazine. And he's, I wouldn't say he's a, he, well, he tries to be nonpartisan. He's not, he doesn't love Donald Trump. But at the same time, he's not really partisan. Um, he's trying to speak about what he's seeing. And he talked about, he talked about these things that when he would interview Trump supporters, he said they, they were angry about the way the country was going. They were angry about how they were being dismissed. Again, the bullying idea that that Republicans, especially in the heartland and in the West, were just rubes and hicks, and they they weren't smart. Not like the New England intellectuals who went to college, and you know that they were somehow. And and, and you still hear this. I, I I hear and it aggravates me every time I hear it. You'll hear these uh, Democratic uh, operatives and 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 and. Um, you know, people who work in the campaigns saying that it's unfair that Wyoming gets two senators, the same as um, California or New York, because Wyoming is such a backward state. It's not fair that they're equal to the other states. California should at least get, you know, like four or five senators and Wyoming should only have one. And, you know, and again, this goes back to this idea that that somehow those in New York and California are smarter, better educated. Um, and then, you know, why would we allow Hicks and Wyoming or Kansas to help make policy in the United States? Why would we allow them, you know, um, you know and, and they were very upset. And, uh, and Matt Taibbi talked about uh, the press. He said, you know, the press, they, we don't have an actual organic press like from the people the press they're far part of a they all go to these nice colleges most of them are born rich like anderson cooper is uh i don't i don't really know why he uses the last name cooper he's part of the vanderbilt family one of the richest families in the world uh you know he, uh, he went to college in a really nice college he actually worked um as an intern for the cia for many years which brings a lot of, that's why a lot of people refer to CNN as the CIA news network because Wolf Blitzer and, 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 
Anderson Cooper and them have worked with the CIA at different times, not as agents, but, um, you know, worked in, in the, as interns or, um, as assets, you know, like they've been briefed by the CIA. Like if they go to another country, they'll sit down with the CIA and talk to them about the things that they saw and things. But, but, um, so they're of a different breed. They don't know what real people think. The press has no idea. They all go to these nice universities. They're all from rich, upper middle-class families. They're all white. You know, at least the main anchors are all white. I mean, MSNBC and CNN. Um, you know, they're not, they're not average people. They have no idea. Um, when they interviewed one of these, one of these men, he said, uh, you know, these anchors, these, these media people think they know everything, yet they, they don't even know how to change uh, oil in their vehicle. They've never done that. They've always had someone do these things for them. Um, and it just is symbolic of exactly what, you know, the divide between in America, that these people in Hollywood and in Washington and, and the elites on the coasts, they have no idea how to do average, everyday things. They have people that do that for them. They have nannies to raise their kids. They have, uh, they have people that drive them places. They, you know, they, they fly first class around the country. You know, they're not hanging out at farms in Iowa for vacations. They go to Paris. They go to France. They go to, to the, you know, Bahamas. They go, you know, they're not going to Iowa on vacation. They have no idea what people in the real world think about anything. But yet they're always telling us that this is what's best for you. This is what you need to do. And so there's, there's just an undercurrent. My, my point I was going to make was that, that Matt Tavey was talking about there's an undercurrent of anger in this country when, you know, by the average person who are just tired of the government and the politicians who are telling us how to live our lives. And the anger, also there is a lot of anger in the black community too. I mean, we can't deny that, that they feel whether it's justified or not that there's been a large amount of injustice done to them. Part of that is because they're constantly being told this. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that they aren't right, that there are some injustices. I mean, certainly you look around and by and large areas, um, if you find poor areas in New York or Chicago or Washington, D.C. or in the South, you predominantly see black people and you know, there are some definite differences in most areas like Bel Air or, you know, in, you know, um, on Wall Street and these places that are much more in Beverly Hills um, are much more predominantly white. Uh, And I'm not saying that that's unfair and that we need to change our system, but I'm just saying you look at those things and you can see that there is a disparage, you know, between white and black in many areas of the country. And, but a lot of the Democrats use that to, um, to get their base out to vote by telling them, you're getting a raw deal. We're going to give you a better deal. Vote for us. You know, look at how bad you're treated by white people in general. So whether they are or not, they certainly believe that there's a lot of injustices being done to them. And so there's an undercurrent of anger with them. Um, what... So there is just a lot of anger right now. There was a lot of anger in, in 2016. But what, what I'd really want to encourage everyone 
is that we need to channel that anger in a way that's productive. We're turning on each other more than we're turning against the real culprits, and that is uh, the politicians and the government. And I'm not saying we need a violent overthrow of the government or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. Because we have a system of government, so we don't have to have violent overthrows. We elect our officials. We have, well, term limits for the president. We, we do need term limits on members of Congress as well. Uh, Michigan tried to put term limits on our politicians, but the Supreme Court said that federal politicians are covered under the U.S. Constitution, and our state can't alter the U.S. Constitution. So it's going to require uh, an uprising and I say uprising, I don't mean like a violent uprising, but it means the people are going to have to start calling their politician. Either we have to do a constitutional amendment ourselves or we have to force them to change it. So we have term limits, we have voting. Um, and the idea is that that's way we can have what you might call a, a political revolution every two and four years. We can, you know, that's why they, they call them campaigns. It's like a, a mini war. We have a mini civil war every two or four years, and except instead of guns and bombs, we're out there spreading our ideas, we're voting, we're, we're getting engaged, um, and yeah, we're going to, it's going to get, uh, it's going to get heated at times, you know, we're talking about the future of our country, so yeah, sometimes if I'm talking to someone who I disagree with, it might get a little passionate at times, because we're talking about the future of the country. You know, if, if you know if they if they want to continue abortion and I don't, and I think abortion is murder, well, yeah, it's going to get a little, it's going to get a little heated at times because I, I think what what they're doing is wrong and inhumane and and immoral. Um, it doesn't mean we have to get into personal insults and things, but but yeah, it can get heated at times. But then when the, you know, but when the voting happens, you know, we we put down our weapons theoretically and. And we, you know, if we don't, if we don't win, we gear up for the next election and prepare for that to get our message out. So, but we need to, instead of burning down buildings and rioting, and there's nothing wrong with peaceful protest. I mean, certainly that is, it's a right that we, that is guaranteed in our first amendment, you know, that we can, we can get together and protest, but we need to challenge the anger instead of Republican against Democrat and black against white or old against young or, you know, Christian against Jew. Um, we need to remember that the government created most of these problems. And John Kennedy had a quote, which he said, our problems are man-made, but they, you know, so they can be fixed by man. And I would actually take it a step further. I don't know how things were in the 1960s. I wasn't alive then. But certainly the problems today are government-made, majority of them. But unfortunately, they can't be fixed by the government. They created the problem, but uh, they're not the ones that we need to rely on to solve the problem. And unfortunately, that's what we've been doing for far too long. They create a problem, and then we turn to the government and say, hey, you need to fix this problem. And then they do more, and they make things worse. And then we say, oh, things are even worse. Government, we need you to get more involved and do something new. Instead of pulling back and saying, why don't you just get out of this to begin with? And it's way too long to go into now. And I, I might write an article. I've been thinking about this for a while. Maybe I'll write an article and put it on our, our website about um, some of the injustices that or why our race relations are so bad now. And it would go back to the early days of our country. So it's way too long to go into right now. And I haven't completely thought it through. So I, I don't want to just spew something and then later realize, oh, that's not accurate. So I need to research a little bit. But 
but basically it's the government constantly injecting itself into race relations, trying to make things equal, trying to make things better. And all they've done is tear apart the races. They've made us more divided than we were before. And they've actually made the problem, they've exasperated the problem even worse. Um, and so we need to keep our focus on, I don't want to say the real enemy, but I'll use that term, but I use it loosely. Uh, the enemy here is the government or the politicians in Washington. We need to focus on that. Instead of being angry with each other and saying, you know, the white man treats us badly and we're going to retaliate or the black men, blacks are just lazy and horrible and criminals and thugs and all this um, in general, uh, you know, then we need to remember that they're not the enemy here. Fighting against each other isn't going to solve the problem. In fact, that's what the government in general enjoys when we're divided because it keeps them in power. The longer we're fighting each other, the less we're fighting against them. We're not fighting against socialism or um, our, t our liberty being depleted. If we're so busy focusing on each other and complaining about, about each other, then we're not complaining about the, the real things, the real issues that are, we're facing. Um, my, you know, I have, I have relatives who, instead of complaining about, um, instead of complaining about the government handing out money or, or things to, to people, they, they complain because they're not receiving it. For example, I, they, I hear a lot, a lot about how, you know, it's so unfair. Why is the government giving, uh, you know, helping out black kids go to college? They're, you know, paying for their education, affirmative action and these things, but they're not doing it for white kids. Well, that's, that's not the issue. It's not that they're giving it to black kids and not to white kids. It's why are they, the government giving money anyway to individuals? But instead of focusing on that and saying, why is the government giving money, giving tax dollars, taking it from us to distribute to other people, they say, well, it's not fair that they're giving it to black kids and not to us. And uh, so, um, and that's what I mean, that they, we see that way too often. Then instead of focusing on the bigger picture, they become divided and they start pointing fingers at each other and saying, well, that's not fair. They, uh, they're getting something that I'm not instead of saying we none of us should be getting anything it's not the government's place to hand out money so there's just so much going on here and and of course we have a presidential election coming up which also just throws everything into chaos i mean i'm not i mean as far as predicting what's going to happen like it 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 makes me concerned uh, first of all we don't know what's going to happen if this if this anger continues then and these people come out and vote in large majorities it could change the election right now biden really doesn't have a chance of winning but who knows in five months if this anger continues if things could change we don't know uh and what happens if trump was to win re-election are we going to have riots are we going to have is it going to be violent or you know um you know it just this amount of anger it should be very concerning to everybody because we don't know what's going to happen because of it. And being election year, it just, it, it just amplifies everything. And you're going to have Republicans and Democrats really polarizing because it's an election year. I mean, they're not going to want to give an inch. And that's why, as I said earlier about the either or proposition, 
you're going to have a lot of Republicans who are just going to take the side of the police because they need to keep their base intact for the election. And people who are going to be anti-police um, and pro-rioters just because they want to ensure that Donald Trump loses in November and not because it's the right thing to do. And so I'm just really concerned about what's happening. Hopefully, this will die down. Uh, anger, you can, only, you can only continue anger for so long. Uh, it, it's like laughter, any, any kind of emotion. You can't, you can't laugh for three hours straight, just nonstop. You have to stop and catch your breath at some point. And at some point, any, something you thought was funny is just not going to be funny anymore. If you watch someone fall down 500 times, and it's funny the first five times, but you know, after about 50 times, it's no longer funny. You know, you, you know, and the same thing, like you get angry over George Floyd's death, and you can have real anger and passion and, and just hate what's going on, but you can't keep that up for five months. I mean, at some point, life goes on, and, you know, you still might have some bitterness and be like, you know, I, that still upsets me, but you're not going to have that, that anger of wanting to burn things down. So I can't imagine this thing unless, unless something new happened. I mean, unless there's like another murder or, you know, unless something provokes it, I would imagine this is going to die down here pretty soon. I, I can't imagine they're going to have just months and months of, of rioting and, and things. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I didn't think would happen that have. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, look forward for our uh, website and other information on there. Um, I'd, I'd like to have an article on there pretty soon. It might take a little while to, to figure this thing out. But, yeah, please like and subscribe and comment. And let us, let us know what you're thinking and what you want to hear. So we'll talk to, you, I'll talk to you next week for sure. And we'll see you soon. Bye.